am Dr. Karen Becker, and welcome to this year's Can We Awareness Week. Can We is the Companion Animal and Nutrition Wellness Institute, and every year we do an Awareness Week to bring valuable insights and information to you, the pet parents. This year's Awareness Week is entitled Insights into Commercial Pet Food. Can we do better? Yes, we can. And every day we're interviewing an esteemed guest within the pet food industry to help us better understand the issues, the latest research, and what we can do as veterinarians and pet parents to nourish our animals better. I hope you enjoy today's interview. So I wanna welcome everybody to CanWe's Awareness Week. And this week we're gonna be focusing on commercial pet food. But I am very excited this morning because I have a, a special guest and a friend, David Turner. David is a major researcher at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. And we share kind of a common interest and that's kind of how we met and got connected. And that is through our interest in dietary advanced glycation end products. David and his team at South Carolina have been studying these for a long time. And they've been taking a hard look and most recently had some very, very exciting papers coming out looking at dietary advanced glycation end products, or ages, as David calls them, mm-hmm. in the role of cancer. So, David, I heard your TED Talk, and I, I just think it's phenomenal. I explain dietary advanced glycation end products and why we should be concerned about them. Yeah, I think first and all, um, hello, everybody, and thank you for inviting me to talk. Uh, I love an opportunity just to educate everybody about what ages are. I realize it's a terrible name. Only a scientist could give it the name Advanced Glycation End Products. So that's why I give it the name Ages for short, just an acronym, obviously. But, um, but basically, these ages, as we call them, they are what we call reactive metabolites. That's um, chemicals in the body that are produced during everyday processes. So basically, when we break down the sugar that we require for energy for the body to work, they actually lead to the formation of these advanced glycation end products or ages. So basically, to put it in the simplest form, when a a sugar comes along and bumps into a protein, it forms an advanced glycation end product. And that floats around in the body. Why that's significant is that ages can actually bind to your tissues, your organs, the cells in your body, the DNA in your body, and that damages them damages them and prevents them from working properly. And that's been associated in humans, at least, with most chronic diseases, including diabetes, heart disease, um, Alzheimer's, and cancer. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So mm-hmm. how did your team, how did you get interested in this area of research and focus on ages? Um, it was a bit serendipitous, really. Uh, I mean, I was talking to somebody at South Carolina State University, which is a historically black university here in South Carolina, and uh, it was Dr. Matab. And um, he was actually the first person to measure an advanced glycation end product called carboxymethylysine. And he used a way to measure their levels in the body. And I, I, I was sat there, this is about 12 years ago, and said, well, what's an advanced glycation end product? I'm the same as virtually everybody that's never heard of these things. And so he explained what they were. And I was sort of, well, why haven't I heard of these? I mean, they sound as if they're can cause some serious damage to the body. I'm a cancer biologist by trade. And uh, in within the cancer field, uh, I'd never heard of them. They'd never been mentioned. 
So I actually went back to the literature and had a look within the literature to see what was there. And there was two papers that mentioned, I mean, there's some 50 to 100,000 papers a year come out on cancer, but there was two in the history of cancer. So I started to look at them then and they must have had a role. And um, our research is giving is sort of when you consume these things, you can make tumours grow quicker. You can make things um, become more inflammatory. Uh, one of the main things that when you actually consume these ages in the foods that we eat probably most days, they um, cause inflammation in the body. And that's how they're associated with mo- most chronic diseases is because of this inflammation that they cause, which we all know is, yeah, causes pain, causes issues, and is at the center of most chronic diseases. So, David, um, you mentioned the, the ages in food. What kind of foods uh, do we need to be concerned about? Yes, uh, and, and this is the big issue because, uh, I mean, basically when you look at, say, the Food and Drug Administration or anybody that gives guidelines, they don't talk about advanced glycation end products at all. So basically all what we talk about is limited to what's known in research. And basically any of the usual, what they call the Western foods, the high fats, the high protein, and specifically the highly processed foods are all jam-packed full of these ages because uh, what we haven't mentioned up to more, up to now is that ages taste fantastic. So they're actually put the, the food manufacturing companies actually put them directly into the processed foods to make them taste better. Because when they're doing all the processing and everything from that point of view, it doesn't taste of anything when they're finished. So they use artificial flavors and ages is one of the things that they use. And um, I mean, just to give a few examples in human foods, at, at least, I mean, if you have say uh, three ounces of chicken, for instance, has around 800 age units. If you fry that, it goes straight to 8,000 age units. Mm. And that's just in three ounces of chicken. And when you think that um, research is indicating that we should be exposing ourselves to about 15,000, 20,000 age units a day. So three ounces of chicken, that's 8,000. So you can see straight away that we're, we're consuming too many of these ages, basically. Oh, that's that's it's so interesting that this information just isn't out there, you know, I mean, but it it kind of is in a strange way in that human nutritionists tell us, you know, avoid the ultra processed food, you know, avoid mm. um, we should be eating more fresh, you know, veggies and fruits and all that, but uh, they don't make the connection to these ages when they have. Yeah. I mean, one of the major things about it, we know that there's the high fat diet, there's the, the low fat diet, I should say. And then some take high protein. And what's different about ages is they're a consequence of high fat, high protein, high sugar. They're, they're sort of um, almost like a common events that occurs with all of the macronutrients, which makes them very interesting rather than just one. And it could explain why a high fat diet might work for a while, but then you've still got the protein, you've still got the sugar there, that's going to affect everything. And it could really be a serious factor in why a lot of these um, diets don't work more than anything else. I mean, they definitely contribute to that. Well, you know that um, Ken, we is very excited. We've we've got a paper that's going to come out from our doctorate student where we actually measured uh, ages in four differently processed pet foods. Yeah. Interest came exactly like yours. We, there was a paper that came out uh, 2013 on these ages. And I'm like, what is, same thing, you know, what are dietary advanced glycation end products? And they were looking at levels in pet foods. And I thought, wow. That's really interesting. Did the same thing, kind of look, what, what do we know in humans? And like, whoa, this stuff could be serious. Mm-hmm. 
in this work that's coming out, we went ahead and looked at the four diets, then we fed it to dogs, measured blood and urine. Um, they were healthy. So we're just kind of starting out with this. So we're very excited uh, to know you and the work you've done. Mm -hmm. With what you know, do you think it's possible that the dietary ages in pet foods could potentially have a role in the health of our dogs and cats? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, uh, through the work that you've done and some other investigators, mainly in Europe, I mean, it's estimated that our pet companions could be eaten as much as 100 times more ages than humans are. So, I mean, there's not that much research when it comes to animals and ages, although there is some out there. And uh, But if you think about all the effects we're seeing in humans and then we're feeding our dogs 100 times more ages than what we're feeding ourselves. I mean, it, it's, it's a significant factor. And uh, that's basically uh, being an animal lover. And although I'm doing human cancer, I've always wanted to start to look at this because uh, it has some serious implications. We already know that our a lot of our pets and are, are not living as long as they used to. I mean, and there's got to be factors for that. And then I, I think ages is a contributing factor. I don't think it's the only one by any means. But I think that it is a contributing factor. An example of the damage ages could do is like wrinkles in the skin is when ages bind to collagen, the collagen over time dies out. And um, because of the ages, it can't be repaired properly. So you, it makes wrinkles in the skin, although it contributes to it. It's not the only factor. But when you imagine the same thing happening to every organ in your body, then it's it drives the aging process sorry for the pun but you grow older quicker if you are eating a lot of ages and because it did sort of functionally and structurally declines all our tissue function so if our animals are eating a hundred times more than we are i mean that needs to be addressed i mean it really needs to be looked at the problem is that a lot of this research isn't being done by the veterinary colleges and everyone around that side, it, it, it's going to be up to individual groups like you and I to actually do this research so we can actually put it out there and let people make educated decisions at least. We're not saying everybody should stop feeding their dogs, and but we are trying to provide sort of advice that would give them guidelines for everybody to make their own choices on. But we don't, we don't want to be biased. We just want to get the science, get the results, and let everybody make up their own mind. And I think that's very, very important. Yeah, we're, we're very excited uh, to now officially collaborating because I've yeah. joined the journal club and we know yeah. and we've been doing a lot of discussing about ages. It's when you mention wrinkles in people, I, I what I start to think about or I think what I see or we see in dogs especially that have been looked at in a small study um, is the changes in their cat in the lens in the back of the eye. Yeah. When that's a big collagen, like what's in skin. Yep, definitely. It starts to gray. Um, a lot of times, sometimes you always have to have your veterinarian check it out, but sometimes it's an aging, right? We call it aging, oh, yeah. older mm -hmm. change in that tissue, but it is a result of glycation of ages in the lens tissue, the connective tissue in that lens tissue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that kind of equates to wrinkles, I guess, in people, so to speak. Well, it's, I mean, it's the structural inte integrity sort of thing. So uh, it's the skin structure gets broken down. It's the same with the eye. And I think the eye was probably where ages were first probably really 
diagnosed in a disease in a human disease as well, mainly because of all the it binds to all the proteins in the eye, and that's where you get the gray area. And uh, but it but it's the fact that the, the same thing is happening to all the organs. It's more visual. I mean, one of the major things, H1AC, I mean, the thing they measure for diabetics, which is a high sugar associated disease. So if you've got high sugar, you've got high ages. Well, H1AC is actually an age product. And not many people know that as well. So, I mean, these things have precedent within diseases all over. And like I said, I think um, looking at them, you know, because of a consequence of, especially the process for pet food industry now, everybody practically feeds although there is a trend going away from this now is it's processed foods it's convenience the marketing i mean it they, they serve a purpose in that they can give a lot of nutrients that their dogs don't get but the the processing of it could be changed to maybe reduce ages i mean for instance i mean it, it's one of the ways it go but, the, but it's basically when during processing the they use methods such as extrusion as you know because you've looked at this in your research and retorting and everything and that really makes it really dry heat like the chicken i was talking about earlier goes from 800 to 8,000 just by frying it's because of that high dry heat and a lot of the processing methods that's used at the moment applies a high dry heat so they're actually making a lot of these ages and then it in the ultra processed which a lot of dog food is they're taking that processed food, reprocessing it, and that's actually amplifying it even further. So we're feeding our pets a lot of these ages, especially what we used to. I mean, a, a long time ago, and ourselves, of course. This works both ways. This goes for humans and for our pet companions. But I actually think that our pet companions are eating more of these ages than we are, just as a consequence of the diet. And you're right, oh, greater than 90% of dogs and cats are on, you know, the dry foods and the canned foods, which are so common, and they've been mm. around for 50 years. And, you know, yes, I mean, we need, we need safe foods, we need shelf stability, all those kinds of things, the convenience is good, it brings in vitamins and minerals. But, you know, it, it, I think a lot of veterinarians and People think that's a gold standard, and it's not a gold standard. You know, I, I mean, we need. I think with our collaboration, my hope is is that um, we can still have safe, shelf stable, healthy vitamins, minerals. But can we do better? Because this is yep. is not the gold standard. We have to move beyond this. And yeah. With this collaboration, what other goals do you have for us, David? What else are we going to tackle? Oh. So basically, I should give a shout out to the Bobzilla Foundation. Um, this is um, a foundation that's just given me a substantial amount of money to actually start looking at ages in pet foods in more detail. And um, basically, one of the major things that's been used in human research is there's a database of about 500 different foods in uh, uh, different a database of age levels in 500 different foods. This was done by an investigator called Jamie Uribari in New York. And that's been used a lot in a lot of human studies to look at the association between age intake and different diseases such as cancer, diabetes, and all the other ones. So basically, one of the major goals that we're going to do with the collaboration is find, is first of all, work out the best way to look at ages in pet food so we can get an actual 
really accurate measurement of what it is and then produce a similar database. So we're looking in hundreds of different pet foods from raw through the like sort of froze, flash frozen, the cans, wet food up to the processed food. And we're going to release that database. So everybody could I go back to that informed decisions and everything. So if anybody wants to look at the food that they've got, they can look at that database and find what if it's not there exactly, they can look at something similar to get an idea of the age levels that's in that food. I think that's uh, the, the first and major goal of the, the, the whole collaboration. The Bobzilla Foundation really wanted to get this out there. It's just so we're very much limited to what the food manufacturers are telling us and what's on the labels and everything. And I think ageism, because of the damage they could do, they're more like a, a common marker of overall sort of indicators of the nutritional content within that food, whether it's healthy or whether it's not. There'll be a sort of a scale that we could work out. But another major goal of the, the research that we're doing, so obviously we do a lot of human clinical trials with um, that we're to find for myself, it's treatments for cancer and everything. We have quite a few going at the cancer center where I work. But my I envision that we can work together with, um, say, uh, with pet companion owners, the veterinarians and nutritionists and all get together and, and hold like similar clinical trials. This is not animal experiments by any means. This is actually looking at the disease as it goes through by working with veterinarians and we could follow things like the ages and see which animals, lymphoma, in um, canines, which you'll know more about this than I will, but that it's really getting to epidemic levels. I mean, it's getting really high, and we, we're sort of looking to see whether these ages can drive lymphoma like they do in prostate cancer and breast cancer in humans. So we can start to look at that in a clinical trial sort of setup, but for animals. And then we could do comparative biology between humans and animals and really get to the heart of this and sort of treat... Um, um, sort of treats the animals the same way we treat humans and sort of head towards some more sort of conventional treatments. I mean, if we can reduce ages, then you would think we could reduce inflammation and then we can reduce the diseases in the dogs and extend their lifestyle, basically. That's, that's so exciting. That's exactly why CanWe's here, is our goal is to, to use nutrition and to learn and, and use science and research and facts, unbiased. Sure. Um, and put it out there so that pet parents can make better decisions, mm -hmm. make best decisions. I mean, dogs and cats are children too. And, and they say answers very much like we see in humans. And if there's things we could be doing differently, you know, just small things. Now, I know that you're actually thinking of adding to your family, right? Yeah. Oh, she's actually here. Yeah, oh, you got, here. Mm -hmm. oh, you got a puppy. So yeah. what are your thoughts about this puppy with knowing all about the ages, is there anything you're going to do a little different? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the first thing to point out, was if, uh, we, when we decided we were going to get the puppy, we said, well, what's a healthy diet for our new family member? And basically, we couldn't say what that was. Even when you look at the research, it's very sort of hit and miss. I mean, there's a big advocates for raw foods, but that has implications with infections and things. And then there's the foods that we eat. I mean, just because they're healthy for us doesn't mean that they're healthy for the dog, although that is what I've gone for, is uh, out of all the data that I've got, I think that if we know it's healthy for us, then it's going to have a decent chance of being healthy for our, um, well, Skylar is what we've called our little Bernese mountain dog. And then um, that's the sort of the way we've gone. But that sort of made me more determined to like really do the research. Let's find out what is the ideal 
foods that we should be feeding. It could be that we have a, a couple of handfuls of the processed foods to get the nutrients at fortification, the, 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 the certain micronutrients that they're missing when they're eating the human food, but we just don't know that. And without the research, which isn't being done, to be honest, Leah, the, the food manufacturers are obviously happy with what they're doing. They, they believe in what they're doing, but the, there's certain issues that need to be addressed in all of this whether it be raw, whether it be table scraps, whether it be the foods we eat or certain diets that are prepared for the dog or the processed foods. We really need to look at all this by research and find out what is the best diet. And if we can find that out, then obviously we're going to have um, our animal companions around a lot longer than what we are at the moment. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it took me two years to get over to the last of my last dog before we got the new one. It's just not that easy. It's a big loss. So anything we can do to actually extend the lifestyle, the, the, the lifespan of the, our pets is just can only be good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, David, for taking time out for us today. You know, this Can We Learn This Week is really to give pet parents, um, get this information out um, mm-hmm. and to know about our collaboration with you. We're so excited to move forward. Bye work with the pet diets. And then we're, like you said, we apply it to our pets. You know, we can start looking and getting pets, um, getting samples from them, starting to evaluate them and see the effects so we can put clients mm-hmm. and, and do it the right way. That's what we all want. We just want them to, to live long lives and healthy lives. And we want that for ourselves. And, you know, it's a win-win situation, you know, what you're doing and what we're mm-hmm. doing. Um, thank you just so much for being here today. I appreciate no, it. No, thank you. And anytime, and feel free to pass any information that I have around. And if anyone wants to get in contact, please do. And the more we can spread this word around, the healthier our pets are going to be. Great. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Bye.